0: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones here, joined today by Nate Antitomaso up in Chicago. And we've got an interesting interview because we're taking our co host and turning him into the guest today. So, our very own Evan Knowles uh, sat down for an interview so that we could talk to him about this software company he's been building over the past year, uh, which is called Simba. So, Simba's dealing in the real estate space. They're building a mobile first CRM for real estate agents and just kind of taking a completely different approach. Uh, that's contrary to a lot of what these tech companies in the real estate space are doing currently. So we got to mm-hmm. talk to him about all sorts of interesting things. Uh, but Nate, what do you think of that conversation? I really enjoyed sitting down and uh, getting to grill Evan a little bit on on this company he's building.
1: Yeah, I think we should have been a little bit tougher. We were we were nice interviewers. We probably should have should have poked at him a little bit more. But it was a great conversation. I mean, you and I have been, you know, obviously sitting next to Evan metaphorically the past year, year and a half or so as he's been building it. And we've seen different iterations. We've seen kind of how everything has slowly come together. And, you know, even from, from the sidelines in that time, it was interesting kind of just going through that process with him and and seeing him go through it. Um, But now kind of hearing the full story and hearing him package it up as they have a product out on the market now. And as they're fundraising, like, it just makes it so much more legitimate, which is why we decided to do that now because of where they're at. And it's great to hear that story and flip, flip that camera back on him and kind of give the listeners some insight into what he's been doing for the past year and a half, because as they hear him on this podcast for, for that time frame, he's been working on this as well.
0: Yeah. So we got to discuss with Evan, you know, his background, how I got into technology, which is a story we've told on this podcast before, but it's one I really want to emphasize because he mm-hmm. is, he's gone a path that is not barred to anyone to do you know he went he went about it by networking really hard and just going out and getting to know people and and leveraging that network to get involved with things that interested him in the startup community and in entrepreneurship so we talked through his background we talked through how he got involved in real estate which then led to Simba and the problem they're solving and then uh, talked about the current state of the company and where he sees that going into the future so it's a very fun conversation for us Um, And before we dive in there, as we always do, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor on episode 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com.
2: We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They are all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more. Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc, and their website is www.airwing.vc.
1: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antatamasso, co-host for this episode with Logan Jones. How you doing, man? I'm good. Down here in Lexington, we get to turn the mic on the
0: normal co-host. This is uh something exciting for all of us because we've been watching Evan uh build this company for a little how long has it been, Evan? A little over a year now? About a, a year. A yeah. little less than that. Yeah. About about exactly a year. Um, so this was an idea that came to us that's like, Hey man, you finally have enough progress. You're to the point of the company where we need to sit down and interview like we do some of these other founders. So we're both super excited to hear what you've been up to and kind of expose that to our audience as well. Let's just start by, you know, where are you from, Evan? You talk about that a lot in our interviews when we're interviewing other guests, uh, your hometown, walk us through what it was like, uh, growing up where you're from.
2: Yeah. So from Elizabethtown, Kentucky, uh, really loved it. It's very. It's not a. It's not a small, really small town for Kentucky, but it's. It's pretty small when you compare it to some other, you know, cities around the United States. It's about forty thousand people. But I loved it because, uh, I felt like I knew everybody. Uh, I went to a small Catholic, uh, grade school, and you know again I felt like I knew everybody. And I'm just really one of those people that love to surround myself with people that, um, you know I like being around, and I feel like um, you know building a network something I've always been, uh, prone to doing, and I loved that part of Elizabeth Town. And it was just a really good place for for families to be raised. It was just a nice, quiet town. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with entrepreneurship in Elizabeth Town, but um, f- from the perspective of you know being a very family driven, you know, people driven town, I I really loved it. How did you
0: end up getting involved in technology and software and this kind of passion that you have? for it now, when did that begin?
2: Um, so I went to UK. Uh, when I got to UK. Uh, I met some friends in the business learning program that I'm still best friends with today. Uh, you know, a few of them are Michael Lewis, uh, Danny Perry, TJ Barnett, uh, and, and many more. Uh, and we all kind of sort of thrown ideas around on starting companies. And, and Michael Lewis um, had one that he was beginning to work on with TJ called Finance U. Um, and I was uh, becoming good friends with him. And uh, had a connection to that company uh, personally. Uh, that company was basically helping high school students raise money in non traditional ways other than ACTs and SATs. And I totally flunked my ACT. Uh, so I didn't get any scholarship money. So I really resonated <laughs> with that business model. And so we started building. All four of us, myself, TJ, Danny, and Michael started building. And that was my first introduction to actually starting and building a company. And we built that in the dorm rooms, uh, built the product, got paying users. Um, And that was my first introduction to entrepreneurship in general, but especially technology, building a software product. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just felt like it was a lot of power to hold in your hands and reach people at scale and solve problems at scale. And I was super attracted to that um, and really loved it.
1: Yeah. Talk about a lesson that you learned from that, because obviously that didn't pan out in the end. Everybody's working on different projects. But what's like a couple tangible lessons from your first shot at entrepreneurship?
2: um i would say um just the amount of work it takes you know we were college students and you know mm-hmm. we had class and you know we'd spend hours you know after uh after class building that you know obviously we weren't able to put as much work in that we would put in on a company now but at least we got a taste of yeah. what it took to build a company and then i would say just the importance of you know having a team that really meshes well together and is passionate about the problem they're solving because you know as college students there's a lot of things distracting you and that's like that's life in general and if you're not passionate about that problem you're solving, which we all were, you know you're not going to put your time into it, you're probably going to give up. Um, and we were all you know super passionate about it, and we were all very talented people, and you know we all kind of fit, fed off each other and were able to get a product to market as freshmen in college. and so I would just say those two things, you know the amount of work it takes, and then the importance that you need to place on having a, a really great team.
0: Yeah, for sure, and I think one of the more significance. Stops along your your roadmap of your life that a lot of our listeners are familiar with is that you were the first employee at Fuji, uh, which was a major major startup here in Lexington. So walk us through that story of first off how you got involved. I think there's some good advice in there uh, for current college students about uh, finding their way into the startup community, but also talk a little bit about what you learned being the first employee at a, at a startup like that.
2: Yeah, uh, that was amazing. You know, I'm not I'm I'm where I am today because of Fuji um, and Greg. Uh, and Eric over there uh you know I got involved with that purely because uh of me building a network uh, me putting myself out there uh, when I was at UK and we did that whole finance you thing and you know that ultimately failed but you know I fell in love with entrepreneurship I you know really wanted to go down that rabbit hole further UK wasn't able to provide me that uh, UK didn't have the venture studio. They hardly had any entrepreneurship, you know, classes. And so I had to go out of my way uh, to, to learn that. So I would fly out to, you know, San Francisco to TechCrunch or Las Vegas to CES and uh, network with those people that I looked up to building companies. Um, and eventually I just told everybody in the world, hey, you know, I love this software thing. I love selling software. I love entrepreneurship. You know, if anything ever comes up, tell me. And I made sure to tell, you know, Gaden College at UK, which I was very involved in that. And Greg and Eric came to UK and said, hey, we need a student to help us really, you know, scale this and and start this with us here in Lexington, Kentucky. And UK immediately said, hey, we've got this guy named Evan um, who you know, has <laughs> been, you know, being down our door wanting to get involved with this. And, you know, that was how I got introduced to them. And at that time, you know, it was pre-revenue, basically uh, pre-existing product, uh, it was just a way to text an emoji and get food delivered uh, based on that emoji. Um, and next thing we knew, uh, it, it blew up. We had stumbled into um, a business model that was a marketing platform using on-demand delivery services uh, that allowed brands like Disney, who we worked with regularly, uh, to engage their fans in a physical way on social media. And so we were the first company in the world you know, to ever do that at scale, where a brand could physically... Uh, engage uh, an audience on social media within 60 minutes of somebody engaging with that brand. And so we created a brand new way to market. It absolutely blew up. Um, I moved out to Los Angeles to open an office out there for the sales team. We raised a good amount of venture funding. Um, actually uh, went through some hardships, ran out of money. Uh, we went back down to about 30 employees in a matter of a week and a half. Um, so Fuji was just this experience for me being you know 20 21, 22, and I left when I just um, had turned 23. um, That was my education um, in so many ways. Uh, And, you know, again, I wouldn't be where I am today without that. Um, And I fell in love even more with uh, with building things, given that I'd been there from the very beginning and and saw the transition from nothing to, you know, now it's worth a few, you know,
1: tens of millions of dollars. So being there through all of that was was pretty amazing. Towards the end of your time at Fuji, you started getting involved in real estate and looking at that and kind of talk about that side of the entrepreneurship journey and then how you've eventually brought those two passions together.
2: Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I, for my age, you know, I was making um, good money and I just want to do something intelligent with that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I had started making money way earlier than than most people did when I was, you know, 20, 21. And most people are still juniors in college so I, I just had, you know, luckily I had a little bit of a head start as far as income goes. And I wanted to do something smart with that. Um, and, you know, I spent a long time researching you know, what was the smartest thing to do uh, with money. Uh, and real estate just consistently came up. And especially the earlier you start in real estate, the better. Um, and so I, I um, got some friends together that I thought would also be interested. And I knew also had some capital to put to work. And we started a company and started buying multifamily um, properties Um, I also own a house that I'm doing what's called house hacking, where I rent out my bedrooms. And so um, I I just kind of, in a way, was opportunistic with my situation and said, what can I do with this situation? Um, And I I got involved in real estate, and I really kind of fell in love with it. I think it's a really uh, cool industry to be involved in, and um, one that, you know, again, the earlier you start, the better.
0: What advice would you have for young people who want to get involved in it? Because I've been kind of hovering around the idea of of getting involved in real estate but it's a very intimidating thing to get into it's very capital intensive or at least it seems like it from the outside once you start digging in you realize there's other ways to do it uh but do you have any advice for the younger younger crowd that's wanting to get involved in real estate uh that that maybe is a little bit intimidated at the moment
2: yeah i mean it can be intimidating you know it's kind of a uh an industry from the outside looking in it's you know older people um that you know are kind of you know it can be viewed as there's like this this wall, this barrier of entry, um, but really that that doesn't exist when you kind of pull back the curtain. And my my advice is, and this is what I did, was just spend several months researching. The first thing I did when I again had that capital to put to work and I didn't know what to do with it, I said, um, let me let me do, do a lot of research. And I went down a rabbit hole of about four months listening to every single Bigger Pockets podcast I could get my hands on. I probably listened to close to a hundred of those. I read, you know, close to in between five and 10 books on real estate. Um, I just watched a ton of YouTube videos. So I spent the several months researching and then I said, uh, let me, let me find some other people to get involved with this and pull our money together and, and go buy some properties. Um, another thing I did that, you know, I always like to share is, um, you know that's intimidating to go buy a property because you don't know if there's something wrong with it. You don't know what to look for in a property. You don't know what a good property is if you're not doing the research. One thing I did that you know I think was really smart was I reached out to the best home inspector I could find in in Lexington and I said, um, just cold. I reached out to him and I said, uh, hey, I would like to take you out to lunch. Um, I have something to, to propose to you. And I took him out to lunch and I proposed to him, hey, uh, take me on you know three or four of your inspections. And I just want to sit there and, and watch you and, and shadow you and understand what you look for in a house and how you inspect these things. And I did that. And when I came out of that, I was much more confident in what a good building is, what a good home is, what a good property is. And so my advice is just to do a lot of research and kind of get your hands dirty and meeting people in the space uh, and learning from them. And then I had the confidence that I could go out with some friends and go buy some properties. And that's what we did. Uh, we bought a fourplex and a duplex in one year, in and we were 22, um, and we bought those in the same year, and so it's just a, a lot of research on the front end. Yeah, and the reason we're talking about
0: real estate in the first place here is because your company, your software company Simba, uh, deals in the real estate space, but before we get to that, uh, talk a little bit about the advantage that being a young person in real estate gave you, uh, and also having that software background, because that's eventually how you identify the problem. That symbol was setting out to solve. So, just talk about how you viewed the the space as a whole, as it relates to the technology behind it. Because I know you saw some some things to you that were very obvious, but that was likely because of your age.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I placed at, at high importance was just focusing on people and networking. Um, and so, I met a lot of people in the industry, and so I talked to a lot of people. And um, you know, I consistently heard some themes, and all of them I noticed. You know, didn't put a focus on technology, and I'm very technology focused and notice things related to technology. And so, eventually, after I was in the space for a while and I had some of my own pain points related to uh, taking care of our tenants and communicating with them, um, you know, those relationships came back, and I was able to go talk to a lot of people and say, Hey, are you having a similar problem uh, that I'm having? And I was able to have this network of people to go bounce ideas off of. Um, And eventually I found my co-founder doing that. I found a lot of early users. I found a lot of people that I was able to bounce this idea off of and get feedback from. Um, And so it's just building a network. Um, And then from there I took my pain point that I was having and I took my, uh, my co-founder and I started thinking about ideas on how to solve it. And eventually we stumbled our way into what Simba is today. Um, And so it was really just people and then having a pain point. And with my understanding of technology as deep as I am into it, um i was able to come up with a solution that um eventually we you know again got to the point where we are
1: today so talk about what it is be specific like what yeah. is symbol so, and how has it evolved to become that
2: yeah so originally we were um i was having pain points around uh, communicating with tenants Um, The real estate industry is actually kind of a cold industry. uh, Once you get into it, you know, your tenants are living in your building and oftentimes you don't have a relationship with those people, despite the fact they're living in something you own. And I personally had a little bit of a problem with that. Um, And what I set out to do was create a way that I can communicate more effectively with them. Um, As a very busy person, I wanted to have a very simple uh, mobile application that can communicate with them and not use my own phone number. Uh, because I don't want my tenants texting me all the time. You know, I want to be able to communicate with them on a different number um, and do it in a really simple fashion and have some automated ways of communicating with them. So at least I could build a relationship with them. And our thesis was that if we solved that pain point, our tenants would take better care of the building and they would you know, turn over less. You know, They'd be more uh, likely to stick with us because we have a better relationship with them because we had an easier way to communicate with them. So therefore, we communicated more often. And that was the thesis that that's what we were building was ultimately a way to communicate and manage those relationships. And that comes down to a CRM, which is something I've always been very <clears throat> familiar with because of my background in sales. Um, and so we started as a way for property managers to manage those relationships with the CRM. We went to market with that. We had built some prototypes. We talked to a ton of property managers. Um, and it just so happened that a lot of those property managers were real estate agents Uh, Real estate agents tend to see a lot of deals, and so they end up aggregating uh, properties over time. Um, And we would show people this software we were building, and we actually got the best feedback from from agents eventually saying, Hey, my my CRM sucks for my real estate brokerage, uh, my residential real estate brokerage. Um, I would be interested in using this. But as far as property management goes... You know, I actually don't want to talk to my tenants as much because that gives them an opportunity to complain about my building or complain <laughs> about things I'm not doing or ask me to fix something. Uh, I don't want to talk to them more. Um, I just want to get people in there uh, and avoid vacancies and then I'm done with them. And that that that's something that now I resonate with a little bit more and I understand. Uh, But at the time, that pain point kind of led to this concept of building a very simple mobile first communication heavy CRM. Mm -hmm. And that just happened to resonate more with uh, real estate agents. Um, And so now what we're building is a mobile first CRM that prioritizes communication workflows uh, for these agents, uh, because right now they've got desktop based software. But if you know a real estate agent, they're never behind a computer And so they're having trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, managing these relationships and adopting CRMs effectively. And so we're coming into the market being the first mobile first um, CRM to help them build that business that they're working so hard to build that is totally based on relationships. Yet many of them are using desktop based CRMs that they're just not using effectively.
0: Yeah. And I think a theme that I've kind of noticed since being friends with you is you, you do an awesome job with research. Um, So talk a little about the research you've done on the real estate industry as it pertains to the technology uh, that's kind of emerging right now. And I mean, everything from like Zillow and Compass uh, to even the the CRM software that's going on right now. It seems like you've kind of identified this problem in the industry of the software being adopted a lot slower. So just talk about some of the stuff you've learned researching this industry and building a company within this industry as it pertains to the technology that that is
2: available. Yeah. um, So basically... Uh, the real estate is the biggest industry, you know, across the world, um, and the market is just so massive that there's so much opportunity. And what's happening in the market right now is there's a lot of tech companies and digital brokerages coming into the market, providing consumers with a lot of new options, which is really good for the market. And there's a lot of focus being put on uh, these consumer-facing uh, solutions like iBuying or um, digital brokerages, uh, you know, new mortgage platforms. But, what we saw was, why isn't anybody building technology for agents and the The answer that we kind of have is um, while well, agents uh the average age of an agent's about fifty five years old the average age of a person in real estate is about fifty five years old, so it's no wonder the technology's always been behind. but you know we're building technology for agents because even if these consumers use a platform like Zillow or uh home light or some of these big platforms that are popping up and getting well funded at the end of the day 86 percent of all consumers are using an agent and an agent is what determines their experience of buying a home and so we're seeing this massive opportunity where everybody's kind of looking a different direction at how do we uh, influence the top of funnel with these consumers and we're looking at well how do we actually power the back end of the industry which are these real estate agents. And we think the only way to change a consumer's experience with buying a home or selling a home is by changing the experience that these agents have with their software. And agents right now just are not really uh, being empowered by great technology, and we're seeing a massive opportunity. Um, And and if you look at the business models of a Zillow, like you mentioned, uh, all of their revenue comes from agents but there's this perception that they're going to replace agents and that's just not realistic yeah. you know consumers want to work with an agent you know they're buying the most expensive thing they're ever going to buy they don't know anything about real estate it's a very complex market they want to have a trusted emotional relationship with the person that they're buying it with and you know we're coming into the market saying hey we're building for these people and eventually we'll be able to change the the consumer's experience because we're changing the backbone you know of the industry that's actually mediating you know their experience with it
1: yeah, the way you explain that makes sense, but it does feel a little counterintuitive when you compare it to, you know, every other industry, you know, the, the individual is being empowered by technology and self-serve software is everywhere in every industry, and people like the flexibility of being able to do things themselves. Is the real estate industry different just because it is like the biggest purchase people will ever make? Because it is such a complex purchase? Or why do you think that kind of runs counterintuitive to, to other industries?
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of inefficiency in the market just because of the nature of it. Um, there's a lot of complexity. Yeah, you know, you can build, you can't build a self-service model completely uh, to buy real estate because you can't build artificial intelligence that knows where the cracks in the roof are. You can't build artificial intelligence that knows, uh, you know what what somebody likes and doesn't like as far as a home goes and the color of the wall. And, you know, it's just too complex. There's too many parts of buying a home that people care about, you know, the neighborhood, the schools, you know, Zillow has all that data, but at the end of the day, they don't know the the area as well as an agent that's lived in that mm-hmm. area their whole life. And then people don't also think about, you know, the complexity of the transaction on the back end. you know, all Zillow helps people with is finding a home. That's like, of the entire transaction, if that, you know, you've got all the negotiations that take place, putting down an offer, knowing the right offer to put down, uh, having all the paperwork. And then, you know, there's just a lot of things related to the transaction that, you know, can't necessarily be automated because there's, again, a lot of complexity and there's so many different routes a person can take that we think agents are always going to be a part of the equation because people just don't want to work with the computer with a purchase decision that big. Um, you can do it with a car, yeah. and, and even that's a stretch. Uh, but you know that's as high as a transaction value that I think people are going to do in an automated fashion, self serve. And with a home, as personal as it is, I mean, we're talking about a home. You know, there's a lot more implications that go along with that word than just the purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and an agent is that you know trusted emotional person that you can trust to do that transaction with. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Technology is totally going to change this industry for the consumers and agents are going to, you know, their commissions are going to be, you know, put on, put pressure on uh, the commissions are going to come down. They're not going to come down a whole lot over time, but companies like Zillow and like HomeLight and like Redfin are going to push down commissions, but an agent will always be involved um, because again, even the underlying business models of these technology companies that are quote unquote disrupting the industry their revenue comes completely from agents, and so even if the agents were to go away, these companies would just be killing themselves, because agents are the ones where their business model, you know, comes yeah. from. So um, that's just kind of you know what I've dug in deep and, and noticed. Yeah, yeah, and I think
0: I think that's a very exciting revelation too, because now you can kind of get on the side of the agent, as Nate mentioned earlier, kind of empowering that agent. So talk a little bit about how you guys are actually being thoughtful about trying to empower, uh, empower that agent. I know that you guys are taking a very thoughtful approach to user experience. So talk a little bit about the design principles and user experience that you're trying to create with Simba.
2: Well, I mean, the first thing we did was just talk to you know hundreds of agents. Um, I got on zoom calls. We met in person with, with agents, you know, we were building this during COVID. So we wish we could have done more in person, but we couldn't. So we did a ton of zoom calls. We recorded a lot of those zoom calls. And then my co-founders, Kendall and Tanner, who are, You know, rock stars are what they do. Tanner's a world-class designer, uh, user experience designer. You know, we recorded those Zoom calls and sent them to them. And we had brainstorming sessions on, you know, how to solve those pain points that they were consistently communicating to us. And what we eventually arrived at and what is the output of all of those is is Simba, which is a mobile-first CRM. Uh, A mobile-first CRM has never been built in the B2B space that we can find. Um, Salesforce and HubSpot have mobile apps, but there's a difference between going from a desktop to mobile and just starting with mobile and then building a desktop. Um, you can't go the other direction. You can't start with desktop and then build a mobile app and expect it to, to be a great user experience. Um, so we're starting mobile first. So we're mobile first CRM. That focuses heavily on communication workflows, especially chat. Um, and, and we believe that what that's going to do Is empower these agents to create better user experiences for their clients while they're buying a home uh, because we're going to introduce a lot of automation chat workflows that allow an agent to provide a better experience than what they're giving now right now agents are using you know iMessage they're using email they're using a ton of different tools throughout the transaction and what you have is this very fragmented experience for their clients we want to try to aggregate as much of that into a chat channel as possible um, that way, it's just a seamless way of communicating with an agent. And from the agent's perspective, you know if you're using iMessage, iMessage is not built to be a CRM. It's not built for the real estate industry. And we're going to be able to create a lot of automations and a lot of ways that you know we're going to be better than iMessage uh, because you can't log all your you can't log all your communication with all your clients on iMessage. They're not mapping back to the transactions. All the paperwork related to that deal is not mapped back to that person's profile. You can't build automations into iMessage. So there's just a lot more we can do within our own mobile first CRM related to chat than these agents are personally are, are capable of doing right now. Um, and so that's kind of been our approach is um, these agents are always on the go. They're not using desktop-based software, so let's build mobile first. The consumer wants to have a seamless, very fast communication channel with their agent because it's a very high risk, you know, a high stakes transaction. They want to use chat. And so we've took those two principles and built an application that is totally unique. That's a mobile first CRM. Mm -hmm. You touch
1: on it for a second there, but like run through the team and how each person has contributed to bringing this product together. That is totally different than the other CRMs.
0: Yeah. And real quick, just talk a little bit about building that team too, because you went about it and got some some rock stars on the team. And I, you know, I think our audience would really like to know how you actually did that.
2: Yeah, so the team started with Ryan Harrison and myself. Um, he's been in the space his entire life. His family have been investors and have managed those properties uh, all since he was a child. Uh, after he graduated from college, he went and immediately became a real estate agent. Uh, he's one of the top agents uh, in, in Kentucky. Um, and he's at the, he's actually with the top team in Kentucky as well. And so him and I... Really meshed well together because I came in with this new perspective of um, I had a lot of knowledge about technology. I had these pain points with you know my properties. He had a lot of experience in the industry. And so we had a good dialogue there about what we could do to the space. And uh, we, we took that and we looked at what we had and said, we need a technical co-founder and we need a user experience designer and co-founder and I wanted to prioritize user experience and actually make that person a co-founder, which is really rare for a lot of startups. But for our sake, we knew we would needed user experience designer to be a co-founder. So from there uh, I went out and started meeting with people. And so what I did was I went to all my people in my network. Um, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm building something. I need really talented people. Can you introduce me to the most talented engineer you know? And I did that enough to where I met a ton of engineers and eventually I met Kendall. I took him out to drinks. And I pitched them on what we were doing. I pitched them on myself and I pitched them on what we were what we were solving. Um, it resonated with them. Uh, he was at Yum Brands at the time. He built their online ordering infrastructure. Insanely talented engineer. Uh, we we're really blessed to have him on the team. But I was able to sell him on myself and the company. And he wanted to join and get behind that. Um, I did the same thing with Tanner, uh, who's our user experience designer. Uh, Ryan and I sat sat him down as well and said, hey, we're solving this problem. Uh, here's how we're going to solve it. We know you have experience in this industry. Uh, We know you're an amazing user experience designer. User experience is a core part of our platform. And so there, you know, I'm telling him, listen, your skill set is perfect for what we need, and here's why. So I sold him on that, and it's it's true. Like We wouldn't be able to build a product without him. And so really it was me networking, asking my friends, hey, I need to meet the most talented people you know. And then from there, it's my job, and it was Ryan's job, to pitch them and say, hey, Here's what we're building. We're super excited about it. Um, are you interested in this? Um, and then from there, it was just figuring out how to formally get them on the team um, from a you know operating perspective and an equity perspective. And and they're bought in. Um, and and that's what's so important is finding people that are bought in. You know, Kendall's been full time, uh, like myself. Not doesn't have an income. And so you know we're we're all in on this. And it was just a matter of finding people like that. Uh, and luckily, I'm you know just good at networking and good at at sales. And that's all. You know, all it takes to that's what recruiting is. Uh, it's just, it's sales. Um, and so we were, yeah, Brian and myself were just good at that.
1: I, d- I don't want to brush over that though, like, especially when it comes to engineering and especially in the Midwest, like, that is difficult to find somebody to even get a meeting with somebody of a certain talent level that is a good engineer. Uh, and then to get them to be fully bought in and come on board and work without a salary, like that's tough. And I think that does speak to kind of the networking abilities that you have and how much you believe in it because that definitely shines through when you're speaking.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kendall is a freak. Um, You know, I I work closely <laughs> with like Sam Marks, who, you know, I when I look at a yeah. great engineer, I, I look at Sam and I say, man, he's got all the traits. And prior to um, meeting Kendall, I didn't think I'd you know meet somebody locally like that. And I believe Kendall is... You know of that of that caliber, who is a great engineer, full stack, learns very quickly, is very creative, but he has this other side of him that's really business focused and really understands business well and can communicate really well. Um, and he's just a mm-hmm. really rare talent that I got really lucky to find. Who happened to be in a really cushy corporate job, who he wasn't, who uh, and he wasn't that passionate about it. Um, and I was again able to just kind of. Uh, convince him that we were doing something he should be a part of yeah and before we move on from the team aspect of simba you know you guys have been building this during
0: covid with either half of your team or over half of your team based out of louisville kentucky which luckily is only an hour's drive away from lexington but talk about being you know a primarily remote team and how you guys have have dealt with that and managed culture through that and stayed on the same page just building a company in general what's that been like for you guys
2: um, well, we did it out of necessity because of COVID, obviously. Um, it's been fine. You know, I think we're all very driven in our own ways and we don't need somebody looking over our shoulder to to get work done. Um, you know, we understand the stakes here. And so, you know, we haven't had a problem with it. Luckily, we've had Zoom. Uh, we use a software called Miro, which I've fallen in love with. Um, <clears throat> Miro is just a really amazing technology that allows you to take what's in your head and put it onto a, a whiteboard, basically a digital whiteboard. And so we've We've been able to build the company using Slack, Miro, and Zoom, uh, and nothing else. So there's just been great tools that allow us to do this. And um, I would say that you know we probably would go to in-person uh, work environments sooner if Kindle wasn't on the team. Kindle uh, has really kind of pushed us to be remote because of his own personality and his own beliefs, and you know his is um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: he's very independent. And I think that's. Uh, been something that, you know, I was a little uncomfortable with to begin with, but after seeing, cause I'd never worked remote, you know, I'd never really um, worked remote completely. Um, I had a team in Los Angeles um, when I was out there uh, and you know, I, I've always been working around people and I love that. Uh, but I never got a taste of being remote and Kindle kind of came into the, onto the team and was like, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm sitting in my room, I'm putting my blinds down, I'm going to work in a, a pitch black room. Cause that's how I like to work. And, you know, I never worked around somebody you know, like that and it really kind of showed me uh, what what somebody can do working remote uh, based on how much he was able to focus and get done um, and I think it's it's great you know I think remote works here to stay I think teams are eventually going to want to move back into the office at least for part of their work uh, of the week but um, we just again use great tools and we've got personalities on the team that you know work well remote so I've gone into Awesome Inc because I, being the salesperson of the team um, and being kind of, you know, somebody that loves to be around people and network, uh, at least, you know, for part of my day, you know, I've got to be around people. But again, not everybody's like that. Um, So I think there's going to be kind of a swing uh, either back towards in person or uh, for those that
1: aren't, you know, they're just going to stay remote. Yeah. Everybody was saying at the top of the pandemic that like, oh my gosh, is this the end of coworking? And I actually think it's a much stronger use case for it now. Cause they'll just introduce new plans where you can come in two days a week and it's a reduced cost or something. But like that, that's super interesting. And I think that's going to happen all over the country.
2: Yeah. Well, one, yeah. One last thing on like remote work is sure. we've probably spent less than a thousand dollars building this company. Think about that. That's insane. Take out our lawyer fees. Cause I'm not counting those you know, yeah. lawyers. We we hired lawyers to do some paperwork and stuff, but take that out. We've probably spent less than a million dollars because of remote. We don't have workspace. We're not renting a co-working office and all we're paying for is zoom and some developer tools that Kindle's using. And maybe a couple of the things I'm forgetting. Nothing else has been like the expense. cloud hosting of the
1: app or anything. Isn't that, we've expensive? got,
2: we've got Amazon credits. We've got like a ton of Amazon credits. That's going to give us, you know, we, we're just remote work is here. Um, to stay for startups in the early days because you have so much at your disposal to start a company with, with low capital costs. And we've definitely taken advantage of that.
0: Walk us through kind of the current state of the company as it is. Where are you guys in development? How much longer until you guys are fully live? All of that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, we're live. Um, We've got a product people are testing. Uh, We built up a wait list. Uh, So our strategy to date has been uh, talk to customers, talk to customers, talk to customers, Build prototype, build prototype, talk to customers, iterate, and now we um, and then we built a waitlist. So get get some excitement, get people in. Uh, we spent about a month building a waitlist. We got a, uh, a little over a uh, hundred agents on there very quickly, and then we stopped. We had the amount of people that we wanted to test with, um, and now we're rolling it out to them. Um, and uh, we've got it in their hands. We're getting feedback, and next is uh, we're doing a fundraise. Uh, so we're getting good feedback. We've got people saying, "Hey, I, I love this. I want to. I need. I need a mobile first CRM." Uh, we've got the product into a great place. Kindle's very confident with it, and we just are to the point we want to accelerate things. Um, we need to continue to develop the product very rapidly, and uh, then eventually, once we get the product to a place where we can commercialize it, uh, we're going to start getting paying customers because a lot of the people that are testing it now are telling us, "Yeah, we're ready to pay as soon as you know you meet these requirements as far as the product goes." Um, and we're doing something unique where we're doing product-led growth strategy. Uh, this, this industry really doesn't have a product that's doing this very effectively. And what that means is, this is what Slack and so many others have done, is we're leading with like a free version that has some of the basic CRM features. And that's what we've introduced to the market now in our beta. And, and right now we're developing our next paid tier, which is going to layer in communication, you know, voice calling, text, um, email, Facebook Messenger, you know, those kind of chat channels and email are going to be introduced into the application. Um, and then next, we'll layer in automation. And so as a user falls in love with it, they can upsell themselves and scale their business through those tiers. But we're going to get you on a free version of it. And right now, the beta is that free version. So we haven't monetized yet, but we've got our product into the market. Um, and again, we're getting, you know, great feedback uh, from those early, uh, early users that we got on the wait list. That's awesome. So what's, uh, what's next? Well, we got to raise we got to raise some money. Uh, you know, Kindle, myself, and Ryan and Tanner. Uh, you know, we've been building this thing. We've gotten great progress without uh, by bootstrapping it. You know, without paying ourselves, and that's a sacrifice. You know, we've been willing to make because we're so uh, passionate about this, and you know, see so much opportunity in the space uh, that we've been doing that. But it's time to take it <laughs> take it up a notch and accelerate things. And so we're raising some money. Um, and, and that's something that I've been focused on most of the day most of my days um, are focused on that um, and so mm-hmm. that's that's what's next and Kindle is moving very quickly on the product um, and we're just continuing to talk to customers so uh, that's something I put so much focus on is just talking to customers because mm-hmm. um, you know when you don't get paid and you're building a company uh, you, it's scary uh, it's very scary it's very stressful um, it's hard to communicate to somebody what it's like to not get paid for, you know, a year and build something. And um, it's scary because you don't even know if it's going to work. And one thing that, you know, helps me and is important to us is just talking to customers because they're the ones that, you know, say they need something and we're building it for them and it just kind of gives you a sense of confidence. Uh, And and more importantly, it it creates a product that they actually want to use the more you talk to them. Uh, So that's been something that I've focused on a lot um, recently that I put major importance on. Yeah. And as you start getting this, product into into users hands. Uh,
0: Something that I've really enjoyed listening to you talk about and watching you develop is is your content strategy uh, as you try to get in front of people. So talk a little bit about you know how you guys are being I guess taking a more modern approach to your content strategy as you're as you're using memes on your social media account and as you're starting this uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek podcast where you're telling stories. Talk a little bit about uh, all that you're doing on that side of this business as well.
2: Yeah, so one of the core principles of building Simba is agents are consumers. Agents are a very unique business user where most business users sit behind a computer all day. They're enterprise business users. They'll go through a buying process of getting a demo, negotiating a contract. And that's just not the case with agents. You know, We view them as consumers. And so everything up from our product to our marketing needs to match that behavior. And these agents, you know, they're on social media. They love social media. Um, they're on the road a lot. And so we've done a few things. Uh, we've really put a focus on being uh, a brand that is also a media company. Uh, I think this is something that's going to be a trend going forward. Is if you think about, let's say, a software company, uh, their top of funnel is social media. It's cold calling and there's you know lots of other ways to acquire leads. But when you're selling to consumers, you know, it's it's largely social media. And these agents, again, their behavior is that of a consumer. And so we're placing a lot of focus on also being a media company as well as a software company. And so our social medias don't look like a business's social media. You know, we're putting up memes. We're putting up uh, kind of toning cheek content. We're trying to make people laugh. We're educating people. Uh, We're showing them cool, trendy videos. And then we're also starting a podcast. And the podcast is especially important because these agents are in their car all the time driving around they need, a form of of entertainment and all the podcasts to date in this space are motivational, you know, business podcasts, all the (laughs) the same bullshit that you can imagine, you know, agents always talking about motivating each other, just like so many of the entrepreneurship podcasts. And it's just oversaturated with way too much motivational and business content. Nobody's really making like really great comedy podcasts in this space. And so, Ryan, my co-founder, had this amazing idea I I challenged us with, let's start with a podcast that's just totally different, out there, and it's going to get attention out of the gate. And we came up with what's called Agent Anonymous. And agents love to talk about their deals and how crazy they are. Like It's bragging rights to go through a transaction with a client that's just a total shit show. And they love telling their friends about it that are their close friends or their close coworkers, but it's actually illegal for them to do that. And it's totally <laughs> illegal for them to go out publicly and talk about these transactions because they've got confidentiality clauses with their, with their clients. And so what we've done is we've approached these agents and say, we're going to distort your voice. We're not going to share your name. Come on our podcast, share your craziest stories. Nobody will know it's you. And then we're going to share that with the world so you can finally share those crazy stories and entertain people with your stories. And we've got five episodes that we're starting to roll out in kind of a beta-like fashion to get feedback on. And people just love it. I mean, people are eating it up. They're sharing it. They're, you know, saying they're laughing out loud as they listen to it. Um, and it's kind of a mixture. It's it's just really – it's entertaining. You don't even have to be an agent to, like, find entertainment in this because people are talking about – I mean, oh, man. It's it's borderline – it's it's a little risky, honestly, because these, <laughs> these agents are coming on this podcast and talking about, you know, people taking – Huge, you know, going to the bathroom during a a showing and just blowing up the bathroom and like not knowing what to do. People getting uh, texts from their clients that are just very inappropriate. Um, people walking in on people having sex during showings, like people getting divorces during closings, like in the closing of the home, (laughs) there's just so many like crazy things agents deal with. And again, this is why you can't automate the industry, but there's just so many crazy things going on in this industry that people don't talk about because they're not allowed to. And like, we're finally sharing those stories and we're really excited about that. And so what we're using that for is just advertising. You know, it's an entertaining podcast. We're giving these agents value. We're entertaining them. We're making them laugh. And then at the last 20 to 30 seconds of the podcast, we're throwing in a snippet about Simba. Boom, right there at the end of the podcast. Mobile first CRM, you're using some really bad software now. You want to improve it, get Simba. So that's kind of our approach is, you know, our top of funnel is very media uh, and content driven. Uh, We're going to do cold calling. We're going to do some of the other traditional channels, email marketing and things like that. Uh, But we want to have a really strong media presence And kind of disarm people when they see our brand and say, Hey, this brand, you know, I resonate with this. They're funny. Uh, They understand me. They're trying to educate me. They hardly ever talk about their product. And when they do, I have a better understanding of it because they're entertaining me, you know, using kind of these ancillary topics. Um, I love it. And so that's kind of been our approach. And before we move on from
0: podcast, just real quick, you also did kind of an evergreen podcast about the actual software that I think is a genius move that more software companies should be paying attention to. So just real briefly walk us through what you guys have done with the podcast that actually talks about Simba and your thinking behind that as
1: well.
2: Well, uh, audio is totally undervalued marketing channel. Uh, It's not even the tip of the iceberg, like not even been seen yet. Um, and there's just so much opportunity in audio content when it comes to, um, B2B software, B2B consumer software, whatever it is. Um, so what we did was, you know, if, when you're researching software, the only way to research it right now is to go to the website, read white papers, scroll through pages and pages of the website, and then decide if you like it or not. Well, for an agent who's a really busy person, again, we're matching their lifestyles with every aspect of our business. Agents are very busy people. They're not you know, wanting to, many of them are not wanting to go to a website and spend 30 minutes you know, uh, researching a software. They don't want to get an hour-long demo of a piece of software. Um, so we've got a podcast that specifically just walks an agent through how our software works, what value they get from each feature. And so we've got like a podcast episode for each vertical of our software, um, for our feed, for our reporting page, for our communication, um, for our uh, deal transaction management. And so we're walking these agents through it in audio fashion, using a podcast, what it's like to be inside our software. And so it's almost like an audio version of our website. Yeah. Which is genius because like you said,
0: these agents are on the move constantly. They're in the car. You're going to, you're, you're going to where they are to, to talk to them. So I, I just thought that was a very smart move when uh, you discussed that. Uh, but as we wrap up here, you know, as you're used to doing when you're typically the, the co-host of this show, you know, you've built a couple or helped build a couple of startups in Kentucky. Uh, and we always like asking our guests what's it been like building in Kentucky. So talk about from your perspective, what has it been like building startups in Kentucky? Talk about. You can start with the good and then go to the bad, but uh, fill us in on what your experience has been like.
2: It's been it's been fun. Uh, I really love Kentucky. Uh, I don't ever see myself leaving Lexington unless something unforeseen happens. I I just love Lexington. I love Kentucky. I think it's a great place to build a business because the quality of life is really high here. Uh, and the cost of living is low, uh, the people here are just so uh, helpful. Uh, and so with building Middle Tech, you know, I built an awesome network of people, and they're also willing to help in, uh, in so many different ways. And so the network here and people's willingness to connect and just help people build businesses is very strong. So those are some of the things that you know, are really great about it. I think, again, the people is what makes it uh, the best. Um, and some of the other things that you know, make it hard uh, number one is, uh, you know, I think there is a, a problem with capital. Uh, it's not it's not as big as I think people make it out to be. If you have a great company, you know, you're going to get capital. Um, but, you know, there is a kind of a hole in the market where there are angels, uh, and these angels are very conservative. Uh, there are not a whole lot of pre-seed funds, not a whole lot of seed funds in this area. And so what you're seeing is entrepreneurs having to go outside of this area, unless they already have a ton of traction, then they can get, you know, more attention here. But even then, you're talking to very conservative uh, investors that you know aren't up with the times when it comes to things like safes, which are now kind of the the standard way of raising capital when you're in pre-seed or seed rounds. Uh, so they're not as up with the terms of of uh, many fundraises, um, and and they're not up with valuations. You know, valuations across the country are much higher uh, than they are in Kentucky, uh, and part of that is you know. There's always been this conservative mindset here, but also in the past, it has been harder to build a software company here because there's not a lot of talent, but in a remote work in a remote first world now, and especially in a software world, it doesn't matter where you build a company, you know, you're going to find great talent if it's out there because people are working remote now and there's no longer an excuse to devalue a company just because they're in Kentucky. Um, And, you know, I've had conversations just through fundraising that, you know, I've kind of, you know, they're not surprising me but it's just a little disappointing that, you know, some investors will look an entrepreneur in the eyes and say, you know, you're you're in Kentucky and we're not going to give you this valuation that others are getting around the country. You know, that's just kind of disappointing because, you know, my view of that is what happens when an entrepreneur from Austin or Nashville or New York or Los Angeles happens to move back to the Kentucky area and they go to a, an investor and say, I'm building this company. Is that investor now going to look that entrepreneur in the eye and say, you might be from Los Angeles, you might be from New York, but you're in Kentucky now. And you're not going to get the valuation you want because you're in Kentucky. Um, you know, at some point, we're just going to have to you know, evolve. And you know, that's going to take a while. You know, there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, but you know, that's one thing that I've noticed just in the last few weeks that I've been fundraising um, is I've seen some of that. Uh, and it's hard. And it's just the reality And so, you know, we've got to deal with it, but it's got to change at some point.
1: In a remote first world, though, do you think that that's going to even out quicker than it might otherwise, just because you can go anywhere to fundraise and any investors can find entrepreneurs anywhere? So is it going to have to level out in Kentucky to match the playing field? Well, the
2: problem is all these angels are going to get left behind because these
1: great entrepreneurs
2: are going to go outside of the state and find funds elsewhere. And then they're going to be looking around for good deals and wonder where they went and they're going to go out of the state. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the entrepreneur is always going to have the upper hand now and the investors are going to have to be the ones that, you know, catch up with the times. You know, if an investor is not using a safe note these days on a pre-seed round and they, you know, want to do something, some kind of debt or some kind of, you know, convertible, convertible debt, um, you know, that's just not the reality anymore.
0: You know, as, as we always do on these episodes, we like to end with a forward-looking statement. I know Nate kind of asked you know, what's, what's next immediately, but talk about the long-term vision of Sim where you want to take this thing into the future.
2: I mean, ultimately, uh, we are going to change the consumer's experience with buying a home by changing the agent's uh, behaviors and giving agents these great tools. Uh, things are changing rapidly in the real estate space, uh, but they're also very slow. It's very slow change. You know, it's rapid considering how slow it's changed up to this time, up to up to today, uh, but it's still a very slow change. And, you know, we fundamentally believe that agents are always going to be a part of that equation. Uh, and our job is to just give them the best software possible that matches their on the go busy lifestyles so that they can give these clients of theirs a great experience uh, and instill trust um, and, th- and that 's really our goal long term is to basically empower these agents in every way possible uh, so that the consumer those buying homes have a great experience uh, and agents can grow their business um, so long term you know there's a big eco- ecosystem within the real estate industry that you know we want to integrate with. Uh, we want to give agents, again, a great CRM, great transaction management. But over time, there's digital mortgage workflows. There's digital title company workflows. There's so many parts of the real estate transaction that are becoming digitized. And we want to integrate those into these agent software So they can, one, work more efficiently, but also give the consumer a ton of options throughout that transaction and communicate it in an effective way in their chosen channels. And so we're really trying to build like a vertically integrated platform that takes care of a brokerage's most important needs, but allow them to adopt uh, new technologies to give their uh, clients options. Uh, And then they just don't have that right now. You know, there's iBuying, there's all kinds of new mortgage uh, trends going on where you can buy a home before you sell your current home. There's all kinds of digital transaction management uh, workflows out there, and these agents just aren't getting access to them. And so we hope to be you know, that channel of how they get access to those while giving them their core needs as far as like a CRM goes and their transaction management goes. Love that, man. Well, it's been,
0: it's been awesome to sit down and actually have a formal conversation with you about all of this. It's been a lot of fun watching you build it. Uh, and and hearing your thought process behind the things that you've done with this company. Um, Before we end this, where can people go to learn more about Simba? Where can people go to learn more about Evan Knowles?
2: Uh, So if you go to any channel, whether it's uh, Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if you look up uh, Get Simba, uh, and Simba is S-Y-M-B-A, and if you put Get in front of it, you'll find us. You can probably just type in Simba, and it probably might pop up. Um, that's where you can find Simba. You can go to our website, which is also get dot Uh, or you can find me, um, on LinkedIn. You can just, you know, again, search my name, <laughs> uh, you search my <laughs> name on any of the channels and I'll, I'll probably pop up. Uh, and I encourage you to reach out. Uh, I'm really big on just, just trying to build up the community and talk to people and share my experience because, uh, when I was going through UK and early in my career, that's how I learned was just talking to other entrepreneurs. I don't think people do that enough. And I want to give back as much as I can. You know, I know I don't have, I'm early in my path in my career, but I know, uh, I've learned a lot and I can share that with people. So I encourage people to reach out. Awesome. All
0: right, man. Thanks for doing this. This was a lot of fun.
2: It's been, uh, it's been interesting to be on the other side, but yeah, I agree.